Before we dive in, two things. First, thank you. Listeners like you are why we do this. Our team works hard on every episode to ensure we bring you the best content possible. Second, it's a gift-giving time of year. People ask us all the time, what's your setup or what's your favorite gear? We put all of our favorites together in our new generation leader gift guide. Find recommendations for those hard to buy for people on your list and get them something great this year. Find the gift guide at newgenerationleader.fm slash gift, and we'll keep this up to date all year round. All right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the New Generation Leader podcast. We're giving you the tools you need to lead in the digital world. Ready to reach your true potential? This is the New Generation Leader Podcast. Joey is one of those people I've watched from afar, and I also knew we had dozens of mutual connections on LinkedIn. Not just the connections you don't actually know, but real people. I figured I would meet him at some point, and I'm eager for you to hear our conversation today. Joey and I talk about how to increase revenue, be more productive, and build a positive workplace culture. Dr. Joey Fawcett is a positive culture architect, executive coach, and host of the Work Positive podcast. Let's dive in. Joey, as we've headed into this new year, We're heading deeper and deeper beyond the year 2000. What modernization or advancement have you seen that's kind of blown your mind as you've watched it play out in the spaces where you work? I have lived long enough to see George Jetson's world, much of it come to pass. (laughs) So I think that's pretty cool. So over the last two and a half decades now, right, we have seen probably the one that really strikes me the most is I absolutely love being able to sit in my home office, which I've I've been home officing for 20 years. I might have strayed out two years during those 20. But man, I love being able to turn on like we're on StreamYard or I use Zoom a lot. Love being able to Zoom. First of all, I enjoyed the demise of Skype. It really needed to die. Microsoft bought it. It's trying to bring it back. <laughs> my personal preference. But man, I can sit in my office and coach an executive for a financial services institution on the continent of Africa. I can do coach training with people from the UK because we have an ICF certified level one program. Man, I can talk to you, Aaron Lee. So it's an amazing world to be able to, George talked to Mr. Spacely, of course, but I get to talk to Aaron Lee. So that's pretty cool. So that's an amazing technology advancement. Also, over the last 24 years or so, my first book was published in 01, and I was a bit avant-garde then because I'd ran the numbers and decided that I could do or have done everything that a publisher could do on a smaller budget and have more profit. And so what we would call print-on-demand, but it wasn't exactly print-on-demand, but self-published a book then, the first one and follow that up with three or four more. I'm up to nine books now, and fortunately, Amazon has made it super uber easy. So while I have worked with some major publishers like Entrepreneur Magazine, Morgan James Publishing did two of my books published since 2020. It's just amazing how digitized everything is now and how much more convenient it is. It is pretty fascinating to watch those advances. And I was talking to a client this morning, we were talking through HR processes in terms of hiring, and he was relaying the very manual processes he's going through to filter candidates and how many resumes he has stacked up for 
any given position they're hiring. Stacked up like as in paper? Exactly. (laughs) Okay. So that was our very conversation was, okay, there's some tools that we can make this more efficient. How do we make that more efficient? And then on the flip side, technology has changed how we interact. And so that very virtual environment that you just described, what have you seen in terms of negative impacts on leaders and organizations? For sure. Great question. Parenthetically, my dad was a data processing manager. So when I was in kindergarten, I sat down at a key punch machine and typed my friend's names on a key punch card and then took them to kindergarten the next day. I was the coolest kid in class. Anyway, so I've seen technology change a lot. Some of the negative effects I was discussing this morning, we do a lot of online courses creating our next course right now for the Work Positive Academy. The first one was Small Hinges Swing Big Doors. And then this the second one is open the front door, how to attract top talent today. And Peter Capelli is the, I think he's still the chair of, or the dean of the school, Wharton Business School. And he and I were talking about this very thing. And I think the thing that suffers the most is what he refers to in his book, The Future of Work, as social exchange. I talk a lot about the equity of exchange, but he really nailed it with social exchange. And that is pre-pandemic, most of us were in the same real estate together, officing together. And so I could wander down the hall and I could ask Aaron a question or I could have a more personal relationship with Aaron. And therefore, when I needed something, I needed to collaborate on a project or something, I could just walk down the hall and see Aaron. If Aaron was in an office around the country, I would still had been with Aaron at some point physically. And so 100% distributed work, as my friend Bob Johansson calls it, or hybrid work, that social exchange is more challenging. However, I think there's an amazing opportunity for us to redefine work and achieve social exchange. And I think this new generation of leaders, particularly Gen Z, are going to be much more adept at it than myself as a boomer and then even more so than the millennials. But we just have to work harder. Unfortunately, corporate America hasn't quite caught up with that need for social exchange and given it the priority that it needs in order for persons to be persons. And so you saw, and rightly so, an increase of about 30% in antidepressant, anti-anxiety meds during the pandemic. I don't know what the numbers were last year, but it was that's a high number. And a lot of that was due to the loss of social exchange because we were used to being physically together, but now we're not physically together. Now, I'm not debating effectiveness or productivity of distributed networks of work. I'm just saying that's where we stand right now. And in so much of corporate America's response is, well, like Amazon CEO said, hey, if you're going to work for Amazon, you got to come into the office. I was really surprised Zuckerberg did the same thing with Facebook. So we want the physicality without declaring here are our intentions in this physicality. Here's what we're going to do best. My friend Jody Thompson, you can read about her at GoRogue, R-O-W-E.com. She really loves promoting an autonomy economy in which all meetings are optional. And so if you get buttonholed for a meeting, it's usually an invitation that says, hey, we really need you here. But all meetings are optional. I wish <laughs> most meetings I'd been in were optional because I'd have sure opted out. Most of them could have been handled by a well-written email. That social, that loss of social exchange is probably the biggest negative I've seen. It's interesting you mentioned meetings, and meetings seem to engender compliance. 
And that's the second part of this client conversation that came out this morning was one thing goes wrong. Well, then we need to impart that as a rule, a guideline, a regulation for the entirety of the business. It's completely the opposite of autonomy at one end, compliance on the other. How do you coach leaders to push towards autonomy when they just keep a stranglehold on compliance? Yeah. And I think another word for compliance, Aaron, is micromanaging. I've worked with so many financial services companies that compliance is a department <laughs> and to make sure we're not breaking laws. Or as my insurance agent friends refer to compliance and my mortgage broker friends refer to compliance as the sales prevention department. But <laughs> I guess we need them. But it's really a case of micromanagement. If you're a leader and worked with clients, hypothetically could be working with a client now who has this uber need to control. And it's really from a psychological standpoint, a matter of insecurity or arrogance either one. Sometimes they grow up in the same soil. So what is it about me as a leader that needs to control others? And what it typically is, Aaron, at least it was in my own journey, and I see it a lot in small business owners, is this need to control outcomes. And so I want to make sure that we get that loan. We get that account. I have certain results. The real challenge for entrepreneur type and many business owners is they're really good at a lot of different stuff, right? And you might can do everything, but you just can't do it all at once. So if you really want to leverage and grow your business, you have to be strategic, as Dan Sullivan talks about in his many excellent books. If you want to go to 10x your current business, you've got to leverage. And other persons are the ones that you invite to leverage the results with you. So it's this willing suspension of disbelief, as William Blake referred to it, and you imagine that other people can actually do it. They may not do it the way that you want it done, but they can accomplish results. And oh, by the way, lest I be just audacious here, some people may be able to do it better than you. So it's that challenge of letting go of results from micromanage. And boy, it masquerades. You can't find good help these days. Uh, you can't even pay people to work. Yeah, okay. But <laughs> are you just trying to clone yourself or are you really looking for a complimentary collaborative team that's going to get better results than you. And oh, by the way, when you tap into their innate strengths, build skills on top of those, you just may help people provide financially for their families in a way so that they look forward to Monday as much as they do Friday. And therefore, the divorce rate lowers, dysfunction lowers, so children grow up in more normalized homes. There's so many threads, I think, that tie together the circles of relational influence. When we take care of work and we take care of family, each will help take care of the other by refueling us and, and contributing to, as Gallup puts it, our happiness, our sense of peace. We talked about that back on episode 22 with Jeremy Kubitschek, which I'll link to in the show notes. All right, so we've got that out of the way. We've solved those problems in the world. Maybe I tagged them. I don't want to be audacious <laughs> and claim that I solved anything, but certainly we tagged a couple of bases around technology. Yeah, we've certainly shown a light on some of the challenges we're facing. So let's shift to what do the solutions look like that you're bringing to teams when you are working with teams and leaders? Yeah. So is there a specific area? What, what specific area of solutions would you like to talk about? Well, I was particularly pivoting over to your book and your, your five, your key five 
Yeah, the five core practices of work, positive framework, right? Basically, what we're doing is helping. I'm a positive culture architect. And so I don't build the house necessarily, but I do the drawings with you based on your desires and what you say you want your home to look like. So as a positive culture architect, I coach companies to grow people and profits. And the cool thing is when you grow people, 9.9 out of 10 times, you're going to grow profits also. So you're creating a more sustainable company that, again, can solve more problems for people out in the world or provide a widget or whatever product or service that you're offering. The studies have been done over and over and over. And so just Google positive work culture and you'll find numerous ones. I mean, MIT, Stanford, you see on the financial side, a positive work culture engenders like a 19% operating income increase year over year. And that's average, Aaron. So some companies are going to exceed that 28% growth in revenue year over year. I mean, who doesn't want to make 28% more year over year, right? From a financial standpoint, because there's so much more that you can do then. You see productivity go up about 31% because of that collaborative environment that we were talking about. And that's one of the core practices. I stumbled upon, actually discovered these core practices, at least for myself. They were already out there. I just stumbled on them during the Great Recession and 07, 08, 09, along in there. And I was home, whereas I had been traveling and speaking to associations and companies and things like that for a really long time. My wife evidently had gotten accustomed to me being gone because she looked at me one day and said, why are you home? And uh, <laughs> you've been home a lot lately. And I was like, well, honey, the cash cow that I used to ride out of here, it was slaughtered <laughs> and we're still grinding on it for hamburger. So <laughs> it was at that moment I realized, you know, okay, things have shifted underneath my feet. We're all going to do something different. It's just a matter of who's going to get on top of that wave and ride it. So I grew up with grandparents, pretty close to them, agrarian, Eastern North Carolina farmers. Remember them talking about the Great Depression back when that was an economic instead of a medical term. And I said, well, if we made it through that, we can make it through this. So who made it best through the Great Depression? Who, for instance, started a business that's still thriving today? So I just started digging into Great Depression gurus, discovered some who started businesses prior to, for instance, George Mahurl started State Farm in 1922, and then they got rolling and uh, was primarily insuring farmers, their homes, tractors, equipment. And then, of course, all that got repoed by the banks, right? So how did he make it through that transition? And there were others. So I just began studying them. And my key item was, because I'm so action-oriented, is what did they do? What were their habits? And how did these habits coalesce around core practices? And how duplicable are those? And I was specifically looking at my own business. So I discovered those five core practices or sets of habits from those Great Depression gurus, started writing about them. Of course, I seeded them into my own business and began to notice the growth and improvement, the culture that I was taking with me and creating in my own company, which I was mostly a solopreneur then because everybody else was gone. It was a great recession, right? And so I began writing writing about it. Blogs weren't quite as prolific then. Podcasts were maybe nascent stages then. So Entrepreneur Magazine read some of my stuff and said, hey, you want to do a book together about these five core practices? And I said, yeah, but it's going to be unlike most business books. I love telling stories. And so it's a very story-driven book. That was the first edition. It came out in 2011. The latest edition came out in 2020 and is still selling really well on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, places like that. Morgan James Publishing did it. It's the team edition 
So the first edition was for business owners, small business owners primarily, C-suiteers and entrepreneurs. I discovered that when you start the DNA infusion, if you will, of the five core practices of a work positive framework through coaching for culture into a company, you got to have buy-in from top leadership. And I, I don't like top and bottom because I think flat, but anyway, we still refer to it as a C-suite, right? So it must be top. It would come out of the C-suite diluted and diluted enough this change initiative, this culture transformation initiative, and it would dam up at about the mid-level manager level. And so I just began seeing that time after time after time. It didn't get it to the front line where people were actually front-facing. They were making widgets or talking to customers. And that's where the action is. And so I'm like, okay, we got to figure out a way to get it there. So that's why the team edition, and it's written more for managers and for teams, same concepts, some of the same stories, but it's geared towards them. And to your point earlier, Aaron, it's there that we see the greatest results in terms of this work-life integration of these positive core practices. Because if I'm experiencing this at work, where I, we spend 70% of our waking hours working, if I'm experiencing that 70%, then the other percent, we'll say, is 20% because we've got to sleep a little bit, right? The other 20% is with family and friends, then it transfers there as well. So walk us through those five core practices. What are they? Love to. And if you want to read more about them, you can go to workpositive.today and it's all right there in front of you. There's a free mini course there for you called Something to Talk About that really digs in deeply. The first core practice, man, a work positive culture starts and stops in your head and in the minds of all the persons with whom you work. So I refer to that as the perceived core practice. You focus on the positive and filter out the negative. So it's not some Zen Buddhist thing where if I just deny there's negativity in the world, <laughs> it'll go away. No, well, that's naive at best and stupid at worst, right? But you can train your brain, and I'm not a neuroscientist or the son of one, but I do like geek out on neuroscience. So keep me from doing that here. You literally can focus your mind on those positive thoughts without being so namby-pamby or just a Luddite or whatever. But you really can train your brain to do that. So once you begin training your brain to focus on the positive and to filter out the negative, you're going to begin noticing, secondly, people around you more. And so your relationships will become filtered at that point because suddenly some people will just obviously negative. They've been obviously negative, but they... It's just a stark contrast now that you're focusing on the positive, filtering out the negative. So the second core practice is the conceive core practice because it takes two to conceive, right? So it's going to take two to advance the positive work culture in any company or organization. By the way, I have a special pet nickname for those negative people because our goal is to, to learn to deal with negative people without becoming one ourselves, right? So my pet nickname is Eeyore Vampire. And you can read all about Eeyore Vampires in the book. Uh, by the way, the Kindle version, if you're particularly frugal, is only 99 cents right now. So go get yourself a copy of that. So I perceive it in my head. I conceive it in my relationships. Then I believe it through my emotions. And this is where purpose, individual purpose aligns with corporate purpose and where I get engaged in my work. And when I'm engaged in my work, just step back, get out of the way, because innovation and creativity begin to happen in amazing ways. That's back to the conversation Peter Capelli and I had this morning that's coming out in the Open the Front Door course. Social exchange 
change is vital for innovation and creativity. And every study I've ever read by people much smarter than me suggests that that personal interaction on a physical level is essential for innovation and creativity to happen more quickly and more better. So the Believe Core practice really speaks to those intentions and makes sure that intention gets wedded to attention, which is positive thoughts and positive people. So that leads us to the fourth, which is achieve. And this is the physical dynamic of a work positive framework and culture within a company. You got to do something. And it's at that point where you're moved to act strategically and tactically and guided by perceive, conceive, and believe that you really begin to see productivity take off. And this is where the positive work culture, you know, we see up to sometimes more than 31% increase in productivity because the engagement is higher, first of all, right? And so you just become more productive. You do the kinds of things like you ask me about what changes in technology I'd seen and what were the negative effects of those. You learn to put boundaries around your technology so that they're tools for you to use rather than consuming your time, attention. And I think attention is the scarcest resource in the world today. But anyway, perceive it in your mind. You conceive it in your relationships. You believe it through your emotions by being engaged. You achieve it physically. And the fifth and final work positive core practice, Aaron, is receive. There is this, I discovered among these great depression gurus, there is this ethical dimension to achieving results. Because again, 19% increase in operating income, 28% revenue growth, productivity is up 31%. I mean, it's amazing. It's miraculous in some companies when they begin to do the kinds of things that you need to do to create a positive work culture. So it carries with it a certain obligation on one level for some of us, and then others of us just want to take the money and run, like the Steve Miller band, right? What do you do to keep the cycle going and to keep the positive work culture growing? You learn to say thank you to your community, to your customers, to the people who keep your lights on, right? And you discover how to serve others in ways that are meaningful to them. So in the seven keys to work positive coaching program that's at Work Positive today, we literally have a template that teams take into meetings and use to select what nonprofit they're going to volunteer time for or what nonprofit the company is going to say, yes, go do that during business hours. When are we going to go? How are we going to do it? What's something strategic we can do? Now, that has an amazing dramatic effect of creating more business. It's not necessarily your intention, but you understand that you reap what you sow. So you're constantly a maniacal seed scatterer, right? Just trying to toss that seed of positivity out there as far and wide as you can. For my podcast, Work Positive Podcast, yesterday, I interviewed Carmen Ruiz, who has Fast Signs franchise down in Daytona Beach. I don't know how she struggles along living in Daytona Beach. It must just be terrible, but somehow she does it with grace and decorum. So uh, she was talking about this very thing, how they get involved in their community. And not only is it just we go buy Girl Scout cookies or we give to the local food bank, they're actually there sorting groceries. They're actually there chamber events, but anybody can do that. But in strategic ways within their community, literally serving people and just saying, let us help you. How can we help? You tell us how we can help. And it's just been a game changer for her as well as her teams, because now they receive the goodness that comes from helping others. And so marriage partners, they're better parents, they're better community members and neighbors, because now they understand the value of looking for ways to help others. So that receive core practice was unanticipated by me. I thought when I got to the achieve core practice, the results were there. What else can you ask for? Showing up on the bottom line, right? Every single one of those great depression gurus were philanthropic, both with their financial resources as well as their time and energy. And it was an amazing catch for me. That was the big 
big surprise for me, though. I'm delighted I found. Well, I can imagine the impact of all of your clients. Multiply that out over all of their communities. Anybody who's read the book and put this into practice, that's like a lot of community impact. It is. And a crazy thing is, Aaron, because this is not about me. This is far bigger for me. Like I said, I stumbled into this and I'm just a storyteller out. I mean, I hear from people. The first book came out in 11. I still hear from people. One of my first speaking engagements, there's a guy in Buffalo, New York, State Farm agent. I hear from him from time to time. They have relationships and they're still seeding into their communities and just making their world a little bit better one day at a time, which in my mind is something that we drastically need <laughs> all over the world, but especially in this country, because you and I are recording it in this in a presidential election year. So hey, we need to spread some positivity. <laughs> yes, we do. The phone calls, the emails, the text messages begun in earnest already. And it's going to be a long seven, eight, nine months until the election comes. That's one of the, and I haven't talked about the tactics. I've talked about the strategies of the five core practices, but that's one of the tactics that we literally teach in the perceived core practice is how to manage media and how to use what I like to call pull media instead of push media. And the moment you forget that all push media has a mantra and it's all about monetizing negativity. And that mantra is if it bleeds, it leads. The beginning of every newscast is the bloodiest story there, and they just hook you and take you down the rabbit hole with Alice at that point, and you just feel smaller, 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 like I, I can't do anything to bring any good into the world. So we literally teach, and it, it makes all the difference in the world, how to put boundaries around media. It certainly does. It changed my outlook going through the pandemic by turning off the news in the morning because to hear the same somber message to start every single day, it started to weigh on me. So I know the power of positivity is very important. I had this conversation this morning. So often, I think in our world, we see leaders who like to raise the bar, drop the hammer, and they push, push, push. And we have leaders who are nice and we think it's either or, but there is an element to positivity that can be positive and forward moving, that can push us off our backsides, get us up and moving, give us direction and focus. It's not just nice. Positive doesn't equal completely nice. That's a part of it. But positivity in moving us forward, that is truly what we need so that we can all grow and flourish. And those 28%, 31% increases in productivity, revenue, they don't happen without a growth kind of mindset, which something else Dan Sullivan talked about. Yeah, he did. And of course, Carol, DeWick search around fixed versus growth mindset is was seminal in my journey. It's not milk toast and it's not rose-colored glasses. It's far more than that. As I said earlier, we avoid this namby pamby overestimation even of our own abilities. Dr. Peel wrote in 1952 the power of positive thinking. And people unfortunately have colloquialized that into thinking that, hey, if I just am positive enough and believe enough that I can play basketball like Michael Jordan, then I will. Err, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Not the way it works. Again, you can train your brain to focus on the best instead of the worst, things to praise and get excited about rather than things to curse. You really do get a choice around how your brain functions. The crazy thing is that the amygdala in your brain, about the third time a fear passes through your brain or something that you just imagine the worst that could happen, about the third time it passes through your amygdala, your brain can no longer distinguish that from reality. So it may be something you're worried 
worried about or something that has yet to happen that you fear will happen, your brain no longer recognizes the difference of third pass around. And so you're convinced it's real. And you begin to experience that. Your heart rate will increase. I mean, there's physiological manifestations of that fear because it's real now. So you can definitely train your brain to see the positive outcomes. And that's the power of positive thinking rather than trying to convince yourself you can play basketball like the goat, right? All right. Well, we have covered a lot of territory and I have to imagine there's going to be some positivity in your answer to this question. But here's our hot seat question. We wrap up with every guest. What's one thing you have learned throughout your career that you wish you had learned earlier? Hmm. So if I was talking to myself when I'm, say, 20 years old or something like that, I would say, relax, dude. Just relax. Find your best self. You're really not in control, but you can control what you can. And you can know the difference between what you can and cannot control. So smile and go do what you can and leave the results to somebody else. There's a lot of nuggets in there, a lot of tools, a lot of conversations I have often with coaching clients. That nugget right there, they could learn from. Well, my wife has helped me over today. It's 41 years. I don't know when you're listening to this, but maybe more than 41 by now. She has truly been a partner in my journey and discovering my best self. It's not always been pleasant, but as I like to say, uh, growth lies just beyond the edge of your comfort zone. So she's helped me explore those areas and helped me see myself in amazing ways. And I'm just very grateful for that primary relationship with me. And then raising a couple of daughters really gave me an opportunity to think about and reflect on my best self and how I can bring my best self to them, knowing that my relationship with them would be determinative of the men that they would choose to marry in life. And sure enough, it has been. I remember one particular example, if I can share this story, I love gardening and love being outdoors. I especially love growing fruits and vegetables because I get to eat blueberries and apples and things like that. And flowers also. And for years, I grew roses until the deer population around here got injured the roses more than I did and got to them before I could. So our older daughter is about two years old and she wanted to be with daddy, which of course is an amazing experience in and of itself. So we're outside and we're planting flower seeds. And I was a little overbearing, okay, with the way I wanted these flower seeds planted. And so the porch, we were planting right in front of the porch and the porch was up off the ground several feet, maybe three or four feet. So my wife's looking down on us observing all this. And I'm like, no, Rebecca, you did this and you did that. And my wife let me go on for a while and she said, hey, Joey, are we raising flowers or a daughter? That one caught me up by my short hairs, dude. And I said, hmm, scatter those seeds wherever you want. They'll grow. (laughs) And that daughter's now 36 years old. So 34 years later, still a transforming experience for me. And I'm grateful for my wife who helped me stay on that growth path for my mindset. Well, Joey, thanks so much for the conversation today. You've mentioned WorkPositivity.today, your books in the Amazon store. We'll link to all those in the show notes at NewGenerationLeader.fm. Anywhere else people can connect with you? Yeah, let me just clarify that URL. It's WorkPositive.today, WorkPositive.today. And Aaron, I know you're an ICF certified coach. If anyone's interested in exploring how you can become a WorkPositive coach, because we are a level one program, you can get your ACC when you finish with us with ICF. We do bring in the positive culture aspect. So we really are training you in doing coaching for culture. So if you'll go to coachpositive.today, you'll find an opportunity to put your contact information in there. We'll be happy to reach out and help you find your own best self if you're interested in becoming a coach. 
That's great. Paul, thanks so much for listening. We'll link to all those resources in the show notes again at newgenerationleader.fm. Thanks, Joey. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening to the New Generation Leader podcast. Subscribe today on your podcasting platform. Download the show notes and unlock your true leadership potential at newgenerationleader.fm. Thanks for listening today, and we look forward to seeing you next time on the New Generation Leader podcast. Thanks again for listening to today's show. Don't forget to check out the New Generation Leader gift guide at newgenerationleader.fm slash gift. Thanks to Brian, Jim, Jay, and the team behind the scenes. We'll see you next time on the New Generation Leader podcast.